So I want to talk about the loveliness and power of worshiping God. I think God demonstrated <laughs> that pretty well uh, today. It's just uh, it's always lovely, but just some days you just feel like wow, you're in the you're in the presence and you're in a way that uh, it's just unusual. And I thought that was happening again today. So Jesus had a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Um, he should have been talking to that woman. Matter of fact, at that time uh, the Samaritans were still at odds with Jews, and they were had a horrible history together. Uh, the Jews regarded them as renegades. They even had set up their own temple of worship, which had been functioning for a few hundred years by that time. And there were deep rifts, deep racial problems. And uh, so Jesus takes his disciples right through Samaria. And uh, I'm not sure they were too excited about that. Uh, usually they did as much as they could to avoid Samaria, so he goes right there. Actually, and he was prophesying something. He was saying something to them what was going to happen, uh, which is where the gospel went, you know. The gospel went right to Samaria, even after he died. And it was one of the biggest surprises of the disciples. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it was so surprising. <laughs> the guy on the side said, you know, I'm not sure exactly what, I'm about to, what I should do about this. Send for the disciples in Jerusalem quick. We're not sure what's happening here. Because <laughs> it was incredulous that God would include the Samaritans as well. But Jesus had prepared the way very well for that. And um, and so we read about this in John chapter 14 in the very familiar story uh, of the woman at the well. And it connects very, very well because Jesus describes uh, worship in this setting. And so uh, Jesus has this little contact with her. And then starting in verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must Worship is in Jerusalem. And of course, in the world at large, this is a really big deal, especially if you're in the Middle East or other areas uh, of Asia or places where we don't have a very strong Judeo-Christian uh, thing going on there, right? Where do we worship? Where do we worship? And even today, right? Synagogue or church or what all. So this is still a very important thing. It's just that God has always provided His people a place for worship, right? A place and, a, and grace for it. Our ancestors worshiped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. I'm changing things up. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. I like that. God is spirit and his worshipers and must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Now, the amazing thing is she absolutely believed him because he had given her some prophetic activity before. But Jesus is explaining a new reality that we've been living in for quite some time. We are the new temple of God in which the Spirit lives individually, or individually the temple, and corporately. And it's really important to remember that God lives in you. You're not just religious. The very Spirit, the very presence of God lives in you. And when we come together as a church, it's not just a meeting of people. The very Spirit of the Lord rests, the holiness of God, the, the knowledge of God, the, the, the personality of God imprints and comes and lives in this place. That's why... It's crazy not to go to church. 
you're not going to a building. That's really a bad way to say it. You're coming to God. You're, you're hanging out with God in a new way. And there's something new about that when you come together with a bunch of people. And when you get addicted to the Spirit of God like we are, <laughs> you just want a bigger and bigger dose. And you get a bigger and bigger dose when you're with other people, frankly, right? And so it's just so nice to be in the house of God in the sense of all the saints gathering here. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, we see there's a sense in which we gather uh, together uh, as the body of Christ. In chapter 6, 19 and 20, we also have the Spirit of God in our physical bodies. I think, speaking of physical bodies, Eddie and Janet, it's nice to see you here today. Glad you could make it. He's been through a small medical trial, but he's on the other side of it. And now uh, we just praise God for you guys. And glad to see you all. Welcome to the temple, <laughs> the corporate. I, I was watching you. You were enjoying it a lot, just like I was. Right. So our whole life is a living sacrifice to God, according to Romans 12. So our worship extends you know, beyond the boundaries, doesn't it? It goes beyond the boundaries of a place that we go. And, uh, and so our whole life is a living sacrifice to God, whatever we're doing. So there's worship in that sense. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, this is Romans 12, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So this individual proper worship, your body is the living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Our works, the way we are in the world, is an act of worship, the way we respond to others. And it goes beyond just singing. It's it's our lifestyle. It's our service. And uh, there's just nothing more pleasant than uh, to actually be in both the pleasant place where we worship, but also just an expression of our life as a living sacrifice to others. We give, and God gives back. You cannot outgive God out in the world. And you can't keep the giving just in the auditorium. It goes everywhere, right? And boy, the happier, the more that you do that, the happier you are. Not just in church, but outside. You are the church out there, right? So we're a living sacrifice. And here's an amazing thing. There's just so many amazing things about who we are as a people. I think one thing that happened with regard to this COVID thing is the enemy of our soul around the world tried to disrupt the activity of the body of Christ, tried to keep us coming to get from coming together, devised this ingenious, not so ingenious plan to separate us. You know, and, and we bought it for a little while, but for a while, like Archie, we just couldn't buy that. Forget it. <laughs> so we just kept coming, you know, because we could see. What an ingenious plan, because it's us together, even in this simple thing, for example, called praying, that's so powerful, Matthew 18, right? And that takes a coming together. That takes in a, a prayer of agreement. And you can pray from a distance, but oh, how powerful it is when brothers and sisters come together and pray and intercede together, right? So let's just read Matthew 18, one of our greatest privileges. And it's something that I've, I've noticed somehow or another gets left out uh, of, of our lives. We get so busy. But if you just stop and just, let's just stop for a minute. Just think about the reality of these words. 
was being offered, uh, offered to us. Okay, Can we just do that as I read these words? It's the most incredible opportunity, the most incredible offer you'll ever get. Look at Matthew 18. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Man, there's a few things I would like to bind on this earth, right? But it has to be bound in heaven as well because what we're dealing with is supernatural powers and authorities that are also trying to impose their will on the world through human uh, means. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What would you like to see loosed in earth? Love, compassion, grace, abundance, freedom, oh, breaking the yoke of these heavy oppressions and depressions. Oh my gosh. Truly I tell you, whatever you, and that's a big you, capital Y, you. I mean, you don't feel like a capital Y, you, but the Bible calls you that because Jesus makes you that way. Whatever you bind on earth, that's the whole thing. The glory of the cross is that God bought us. And we become his representatives, his ambassadors. And we get to bind and loose. What a dreadful life that hasn't learned how to pray and how to agree with others. It's interesting, in our families sometimes I think it's the hardest to pray. Why is that? Because the enemy is trying to disrupt and ruin our families. That's where he always is headed, right? Goes for us, goes for our bodies, goes for our families, disrupting our families, right? But I tell you what, you got two in a family generally, even if you just have a husband and a wife. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Why is it so important to bind and loose in the heavens? Because this is bigger than you, the heavens. They're always trying to influence demonic powers and principalities and the angels of God too. They're all working together in this. We can see it from the scriptures. There's a great revelation of it. So, wow, what an offer. The loveliness and power of worshiping God, we get to agree in a place like this, and even in our family room or in our private place with the Lord. But listen to this. Where two or three gather my name, there am I with him. Is that glorious or what? That's all you need to know. Hey, we gather together. It doesn't matter how great the worship is. doesn't matter how this is that. Where two or three, if I say, hey, you and I, are, we're gathering in the name of Jesus, we could do it on the street, we could do it in our house, we could do it anywhere, the glory comes down. That's the loveliness and power of worshiping God. What an offer. What a sad thing that it's rejected so much. Somehow the enemy dupes us in the busyness of our life. We forget these simple things. Heaven and earth, the loveliness and power of worshiping God together. Because with the worship comes his presence, and with his presence comes the authority, with his authority releases the power. And just also the sense of love. Love is greater than power. When you feel received, when you feel those divine hugs, it's heaven on earth, right? The loveliness and power. There's loveliness and power. You can't just have power. Loveliness is even better than power. Power can guys be reduced to such an impersonal thing, right? Power this, power that. But loveliness mixed in. Compassion, mercy, kindness, right? Just love that sense of love and compassion whenever there's a gathering of believers and the Holy Spirit's there. I think there's lots of conferences and things going on, but I'll tell you what, I think probably if we were to just celebrate Jesus' people, I would think you would have to go right back to compassion. They just were being nice to each other. Heart for one another. The outcast, the broken. Just loving. Deeply, right? 
And with it, notice there was great power and is great power. Great power. As we celebrate the new time that God's bringing, He's bringing such a great, great sense of love. Everybody's welcome at this table. Everyone belongs. Even us rascals that have been hiding out or been in a bad place, we always get to come home, right? No place like home. There's no place like home. So let's just talk a little bit. You can see it on your outline, the benefits of worshiping God. And um, I want to start with Psalm chapter 27. And I, you're going to hear me talk a lot about David because David knew this full well. He was a New Testament man in Old Testament clothes. He, he foreshadowed what was about to happen. God let him taste of the age to come, even in the age that he was in, right? And so Jesus, of course, was called the Son of David and wore that title gladly. It was just such a revelation because it was a revelation of what God was ultimately going to offer and is ultimately going to offer the church and all that follow God. Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I hate fear. Don't you hate fear? Worship has this way of dispelling it. It sets it aside. It's like the light comes in and fear has to leave. You know, that's why it feels so good to be in this house. You, you know, you're here and you're worshiping and fear is just falling off of you. you know, there's no room for it. The worship and the love displaces it. So David understood this. He had these... He was God's Old Testament man wearing New Testament clothes. He, he, he was foreshadowing something and experiencing it. I'm, I'm convinced, you listen to his, read his writings, I'm convinced he was experiencing many of the New Testament things that we experience, right? Through the Spirit. He was experiencing the very Spirit of God, foreshadowing life in the Spirit and with God in an intimate way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I like that. Hey, the Lord is my light and salvation. I have nothing to be afraid of. Of whom or what am I going to be afraid? The Lord's my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He builds a fortress around me. I'm in the fortress. I'm protected. I'm in a safe place. Whom sh of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me. How many know there's a little bit of a wicked advancement? <laughs> Notice that? This is really important. Because if you watch enough news, that's enough to uh, make you very, very aware, just five minutes, very aware of the wicked advancing uh, toward you. And if you don't get it just for good reasons, you'll get it for all kinds of money-making reasons, and they put a little sauce on it to make it look even worse than it actually is, so to keep coming back and getting scared to death, which is really a crazy thing. I have to watch myself sometimes how much I'm <laughs> thinking, I'm paying for trying to get the heck scared out of me. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm addicted to somebody bringing up something so bad it scares the heck out of me, right? And I'm thinking, this is a weird addiction. I better stop doing this. This is really stupid, right? Because actually, we just have to understand the truth. When the wicked advance against me, however they're advancing to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. I like that. Though an army besiege me. Ooh, I wouldn't want an army. Sometimes it feels like an army. An army of the most screwed up, crazy people we've ever seen before. And ideas and things raised up against the knowledge of God. But though an army, I don't care how many, besiege me, my heart will not be afraid. I'm going to say that again. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. So think of a distant army, but think of a close one up, one 
army that you perceive is trying to take away your peace or take away your way of life. The war break out against me. Even then, I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. So, we gaze on the Lord and we see His beauty and we don't think the same way. We don't act the same way. It's so important to gaze. That's your God-given right. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. He loves to gaze. And so you can do that too. And when you do, there's such freedom. Isn't that we're just in a discipline of prayer or worship? We come because the presence is here. Without the Lord, without a sense of His presence and His beauty, who wants to worship and pray, right? It's because He's there. It makes all the difference. And David's foreshadowing this in a very real way, which would happen so powerfully because the cross took our sins and made free access at any time, night or day. We don't have to go to a specific temple or area. We can, we get to. But we are the temple of the Holy Spirit ourselves, right? And so when we worship, we experience that favor on us. The favor doesn't stay still. When we worship, you can feel His presence coming. In verse 5, For in the day of trouble He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. David would go into this tent, this place that he designated for worship. When the enemies were coming and surrounding him, he would go in this place. And he could feel the sheltering of the Lord. That's where he would go to hide. But you know what? We've got sacrifices that have built something so much better. We are the temple. The God's right there with us. And we gather together. We're gathered. We can gather away anywhere, any place on the earth, any place. We can gather in a business. We can gather in the park. Anywhere. When we gather, something beautiful happens. The sacred tent is now inaugurated. And we can sacrifice with shouts of joy. What a privilege. What a privilege. Then my head will be exalted of the enemies who surround me at his sacred tent. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. That's what we were doing just a few minutes ago. And we can do that in here or outside there. But you know when you're with the saints and everybody's here, the Holy Spirit's in them, joins me with the Holy Spirit in you, and it causes a big party, right? So that's why we love worship so much, and, and it's so, they did such a good job. Guys, thank you for leading us and doing such a good Our worship leaders work so hard at this, and I want to just say something. They do. And we have so many of them now. It's just wonderful. And, um, and uh, I'd like you to be praying about something. Because um, we've been writing songs. They've been coming now from our, our own people. And we've been, uh, she spoke of the inauguration that we had the other day. We, we played a few of them and had a great night. It was amazing. Many of you were there. It was just so great. But these songs, the Lord's literally giving us a new song. And um, I felt like uh, the Lord wants to, st- to stick our uh, thumb up there, you know, <laughs> in the wind and just see which way it's blowing. But there's such winds of worship. And I think it's time for us to add to the mix, not just sing other people's songs, but put our, uh, our sail up and catch the wind. And we've been catching it. And so I've been encouraging the guys, just keep riding, just keep doing it. Just keep priming the pump. Just wait. God's interested in this. And so we're in a unique time as a congregation, um, writing more and more songs, and you'll be hearing more and more of them as we begin to play them. And 
And most of them are so good, I don't think you'll notice the difference between that song and you'll think, hey, I wonder where that came from. And more and more you're going to see it came from here because there's a move of God, a move of worship throughout the earth. At the time of all of this great trial and trouble and tribulation, have you noticed how worship around the earth is just multiplying? Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Turn on your YouTube. You can turn it. Worship from Australia. Worship from Europe. Worship from Africa. South America. Everywhere. The worship of God. It's a funny thing. We live in such dangerous times it seems, but actually God's filling the earth with his glory. <laughs> he sort of declared, you know, I'm not worried too much about that. <laughs> and we're all freaking out and worried, but actually I don't think we're that worried here. But I just say, just in case you get in that space, you don't have to stay in that space because I'm telling you, we're sin abounded in grace all the more. And that's where we're at. I like some examples in the scriptures so much. David and his lyre. I had to refresh myself of what a lyre is. It's this little harp kind of thing. And um, so David is such a good example of worship, as I mentioned. And um, so, so much so that uh, Saul, who was the king before him, and David was going to be the next king, I think he had an, got the idea of that, that he tried to pin him with the spirit of the wall because of it. But nevertheless, it's interesting in this crazy thing that was going to happen. David actually was the source of great comfort to him because Saul was afflicted by evil spirits. So verse 23, 1 Samuel 16, whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. So meaning whenever the spirit from God God was allowing an evil spirit to come on him because of his sin, right? David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So it's an interesting thing is going on there, right? But it's a perfect picture for us. When we get in trouble, we get in difficulty. This worship of what it can do to drive away evil, the depression and heaviness sometimes that we feel, and I would say especially in our day, isn't just... Uh, the bad news that we have or, you know, name your political party or name the enemy, right? It's the it's a demonic assault on our senses, on our health, on our well-being. And worship drives it away. That's why playing worship in the car or singing and, and even more, I'd say, gathering together, even with just two or three people, is such a powerful thing in defeating uh, our enemies. And uh, I'm just thinking about some of the people that are in the hospital I'm thinking to myself right now, you know, we should probably, uh, some of our people in the hospital, we should probably get a few worship leaders and just come in there and sing a little bit. I think that would be very, very helpful. We have been doing that, actually, a little bit. I'd like to do more of that. I think it would be very, very helpful. We have these amazing stories in the Bible. One of my favorites is Jehoshaphat, right? And uh, what a name, first of all, strange name, right? But, uh, and I just love this story so much. I, I just got to read this, and I just think this is, if you could just read between the lines, there's so much here um, that I think really applies to this time and day. And let the Holy Spirit, you know, apply it to you, okay? Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17. The prophet comes because he says that there's this mighty army coming against them. They send out their scouts and they realize there's someone that's coming to knock their block off, <laughs> right? It's been feeling like that from time to time during this time, you know? Just when you think you get on the other side of something, the enemy just comes to knock your block off. Anybody ever experienced that? And often it's one of these one-two punches where you get through one thing and then another thing comes. 
and you just can't believe it. You can't think, how could God allow this? Another thing, right? It's the one-two punch. It's a famous punch the enemy tries to do. He tries to replicate it, just to stomp you into the ground, just to make sure if you were undone a little bit, he tries to deliver the knockout punch. Anybody understand that? I think probably all of us are aware of that, right? But look what he says. So the knockout punch is about to come. There's a vast army coming. And I love this story so much, and it's just so instructive for us. Listen to this. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God. You will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out to the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And they're shouting and shouting this. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Wow. Anybody getting this? The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah. By the way, Barakah means praise, right? where they praise the Lord. They, then they start praising the Lord again. This is why it is called the Valley of Barakah we, in, uh, to this day. So we worship before the battle and we worship after the battle. Right? Then led by Jehoshaphat's, led, them, led by, by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. So then they go again. Here they go. Now they're going to go. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of the Lord came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the peace of Jehoshaphat, of the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God again rest on every side. I love that story. How about that one? That's so powerful, so amazing. That's why you come to the temple. That's why you come to this place. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's not a command. That's a benefit. <laughs> That's an offer. <laughs> in a time and a season when there's so much demonic interference, so many things, even tangibly, just feeling like they're resting on you. It's just nice to come to the house of God here. And you can do this in your own privacy or your home as well. You can worship the Lord anytime, anywhere. But it's just so nice to come in a place like this and just get a bath, really. <laughs> and feel that stuff beat off of you. And I could just feel it today. I just felt the wonderful hand of God just sweeping over us. And I just imagine him sweeping at every corner and relieving this problem and that problem. Because you know the enemies that we deal with, and some of you maybe are newer in the Lord might not know this, but you're not only fighting humans, you're fighting demonic things. 
And this time I would say it goes double. Uh, if there's anything that I could say of, of our time, it feels so much more demonic and, and it feels that way because it is. It's not only a human assault, human uh, masters and human authorities twisting and turning and changing. It's, it's demonic things behind them. But we know where they live <laughs> and we know where God lives and we just ask God to go find out where they live and take care of the situation. That's why going to church... Going to church. We, we, we go to church. We actually go to battle. <laughs> How can a battle feel that good? Because God's the one right ahead of us with the angels and everything. We're just singing and having a good time, right? And enjoying the whole thing. It's, it's not work. It's pleasure. We get freedom from this oppression. Man, when you learn that, it'll revolutionize your life. Some days, you know, I don't feel like going to church. And I think, I'm the pastor. And I don't feel like going to church. What's wrong here? Right? It's been such a difficult time, and I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute, I have to slap myself around. Well, I know where that's coming from. And I need, I need to go there. I need to be there, right? And, uh, and sure enough, I go, and then all that oppression lifts, and I feel, I see all your smiley faces because the oppression came off of you. And then we pray for each other, and we get healed and all delivered. It's amazing. What a glorious house. What a glorious place. Acts chapter 16. 25. They were not in such a glorious place. They were in jail. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He knew it was because of them this is happening. He then brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. I like that. Because he had come to believe in God and his whole household. What a great story. Beautiful story. Now, you've told you, I've told you many times about my friend Sopal, which I won't go to that story again. You've heard it probably a dozen times by now. But he, too, was in a jail, in a Cambodian jail. And he began to sing and worship and got all the other prisoners singing and worshiping with him. And they were singing one of their favorite songs is, I've got a river of life flowing out of me, except they did it in Khmer. I said, did you sing it in English? And he said, no, no, it's, that's a Cambodian song. I said, that's not a Cambodian song. You translate it. No, he said, that's a Cambodian song. You guys got it from Cam Cambodia, and they translated it into English. And he was dead serious. I mean, he was absolutely serious. But whatever, it was God's song, right? And God, he got out by worship. It was just an amazing, dramatic miracle, which I've told many times. So worship renews our confidence and hope. You look at B in your outline. And um, that's why it's amazing. David, this guy that always seemed to be in the deepest of troubles for a good part of his life. <laughs> I mean, when he was a young man and, and uh, when he was older and when he was younger and all kinds of things, right? But David just knew something about God that is so wonderful and reflected in the scriptures. It's, it's so delightful. And so I want to read uh, 27, 13, and 14. 
He says, I remain confident of this. Well, let me just say this. Before we go there, I just want to say, I want to remind you of what he said earlier. He says, you know, one thing I ask for this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. So he just loved to go in there and gaze on the Lord. So there's precedent in the Bible doing nothing but singing and gazing. If that's all we were doing, we just were having song fests every morning, you know, I think we'd all get pretty bored with that after a while. But when the presence comes and you're gazing at the Lord, that's a whole different thing. This is why I can't understand. Sometimes I don't understand. You don't have to go to church. You get to. But those people, well, you know what? Those people aren't the first thing. The first thing is those people, weak as they may be, they might have even hurt you or something. But anyway, when they sing, the presence of God comes. I'm here to gaze, man. I'm here to gaze. I'm here to gaze. And we did some pretty good gazing here. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like to me the atmosphere is pretty good. So he goes through this whole song of how much he loves just to go in there and do business with God. Then he says this. After all of that worship, he says, you know what? I remain confident of this. When it's all said and done, no matter how I walked into this place, no matter how I walked into the tent, this is the conclusion I come to. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, not just in this temple, but in my life. I will see. That's the conclusion you get from worshiping God. It's the loveliness and power of worshiping God. Then he says this, hey, here's my advice after going through this little time with God. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He's coming. I just say that over you. Well, wait for the Lord. He's coming. He's coming. Put your sail up. Feel his wind. Listen to his voice. Worship with him. He's coming in your everyday situation. He's coming in every detail of your life. He's not just here. He's everywhere. But this reminds us that he's everywhere. That's why David, he loved to go in there because he had a few problems. Half his life he's running from people trying to kill him. But his favorite place to be was in the temple where God spoke the truth over him, and where he heard the truth of God over him and what things are really like. and could feel the angels, feel the presence of God. It's nothing quite like it, is there? Worship comforts and reassures us when we fail to become distant from God. It's not that you're holy or, or super righteous when you come into the, the temple of the Lord. It's also a place when you've made a horrible mistake, right? And so David made some horrible mistakes and had some horrible sins, right? He even caused a man to be murdered. And then he married his wife. And then after he married that wife, they had a child. But there was judgment on that because David's the one that arranged the whole thing and for the man to be killed. Isn't it nice to know our forebears, those that brought the greatest of revelation to us about God, also could be really bad stinkers and really make some really horrible mistakes. Could I just speak to anybody here who's made a really bad mistake? There's not anyone in this place that hasn't made a mistake or two, right? But sometimes we fail spectacularly. <laughs> we do a belly flop. We do the worst kind of flop. We sin. And in David's case, it caused a person to be killed, and it disrupted a family, and so on and so forth. So David's trying to pray and intercede, asking God to forgive, but to no avail. The judgments come. But interestingly enough, 
God brings mercy even when he has to discipline us. And we see it in this great story. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we tell him the child's dead? He may do something desperate. He wasn't eating. He was fasting and praying, interceding, asking God to change his mind. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he's dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord, and what did he do? He worshipped. He worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? So there was one movement that he was doing. He knew good well that God heard prayer. And God was interceding. He was interceding. He knew that the normal thing for God to do is to heal and restore. But in this case, God decided to take the child, right? And so he said, well, that's the decision. Now that's over. Now it's time for me to worship and declare God's goodness. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you wept, fast and wept, but now that the child is dead, this should be the time when you're weeping. He said, no. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. Son, made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. I just think that David in that place that he was at with the Lord, he would just rather give himself up to the decision of the Lord. And when the decision came, he said, okay, God, I'm not going to hold this against you. I'm not going to get bitter. And then the Lord turns around and says, okay, it's over. And he gives him a son through this very woman, right? And actually, the son of David through that very woman became one of the most powerful kings that ever lived. God not only allowed that to happen, but he blessed him more than he'd ever been blessed before. The wealth and riches were through this son, right? In every way you could measure it. Worship is where we find a new heart from the truth. Again, we go to David because there's just so many things about David. He's this worshiping warrior. He's such a good example for all of us to understand the ways of God. And I, I love these stories because they reveal to us the ways of God and, and how we should act, right? In Psalm 51:10. David's praying. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. So we make a big deal about the Holy Spirit because it's not just the Holy Spirit as a person, but it's the presence and the effect of feeling God. He says, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a pure heart. Lord, when I've sinned, when I'm away, I need you more than ever. Renew a steadfast spirit with me. Do not, within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And he, he knew what that felt like, even the thing that he had been through with Bathsheba. But he's there pursuing God because he knows God's not like that. God didn't hold these grudges. for he, he knows there's a time, a beginning and an end to this, the time of weeping and a time for refreshing. He says, don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Wow. Some of the holiest moments in my life have come when I turn to the Lord in the face of discouragement and failure. And this is what David's going through in Psalm 51. 
He says, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. I, I, you know, a, a special offering or a special thing. Sometimes we make deals with God. Now, if you'll do this, I'll do that. You know, or I'm so sorry about that. I'm going to work real hard and to be better. All he does is just goes in there and says, Lord, I did it. Thank you for coming. I'm just worshiping, just honor you. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. God, I, I, I want to praise you. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I bring you. Do not delight, take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And out of that brokenness and sorrow for our mistakes comes this beautiful thing. It can't stay there in that place of depression and heaviness. God doesn't intend for any of us in our failures to stay in this place, mistakes. He intends for us to rise, to worship God, to bring the sacrifice of worship, the sacrifice of praise. And God meets us there. And God won't despise this brokenness, but it doesn't stay there. God comes, and he brings pleasure back to us. He brings our heart back to us. He restores our soul, doesn't he? Oh, I love that. So when you bring to God a broken and contrite spirit, listen, that's not the end of the day. That's just the beginning. Because on the other side of it is the very presence and laughter and kindness and goodness of the Lord. David knew that. He understood it so well. So well. Worship helps us hear God's voice and direction for our lives. I love worship so much because of that. I, I, I just have gotten some of the best direction in my life just... You know, you're there worshiping God, and then God just says something to you. And suddenly you know that thing's going to be okay. Or why don't you try this? Throw your net on the other side of the boat. You get an idea, a thought. It's many times I have this almost creative moments just worshiping, and especially direction. Do I do this or do I do that? Now look at this passage, Acts 13. Now in the church of Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, I like that. They're worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said. How many have had that happen to you? You're worshiping and praising in this very place, and the Lord says. You feel an impression. And so in this case, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. In the middle of a worship service, they heard God's voice. I don't have to worship. I get to worship. And in this assembly, I can't tell you how many times I figured out a difficult problem or had God's word to me, had God's assurance come to me in the middle of just worshiping God, not really addressing the issue at all. And all of a sudden, I'm just aware, oh, hey, that's a good idea. Hey, that's a good thought. Or I just stop worrying about it altogether and then God brings the answer. Oh, what a privilege. We certainly like march to the beat of a different drummer, right? I love this story in 2 Kings uh, 3. Um, so it's just a perfect example of exactly what I'm talking about. So there's prophet Roman around, right? And the king of Israel manages to get himself in a bad place. He allies with these other two kings. And they're going to go... Uh, beat up on some other kingdom, right? <laughs> and so they were forming this unrighteous alliance. And so they got in trouble. Pretty soon all they're doing is wandering around the desert, and they're about to die, right? With all this, these great armies, they're about to die in the desert. So uh, so uh, they look around at each other and say, do any of you guys have a prophet or a holy man hanging around that can give us some advice? Because we don't have a clue. We're leading these armies, and you don't, we don't even know what to do. So 
Joshua says, you know, there's this guy, Elisha. He might be of help to us, right? So Second Kings, or First Kings, what I'm, I'm Second Kings, sorry, 3, 14. So Elisha comes, and he says, you know what? As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, <laughs> I would not pay any attention to you. You know what? I think there's a very real reality. Sometimes churches, movements of God, feel small in the advent of wars and rumors of wars and politics and stuff. We're not small. We're huge. We're the difference. I know that sounds arrogant. For some of you, that may seem like, wow, that's presumptuous. But we are. And it's so important that we make sure that we understand who we are. They needed someone from God to tell them what to do. Elisha wouldn't, wasn't going to come just because he didn't like the other two guys. He felt they were pagans, but he did respect Jehoshaphat. So now look what he says here. This is very interesting. He says, all right, so bring me a harpist. <laughs> what? We thought you would just, like, take the battle plans, you know, and just show them to us. I like, just give us something to do. Maybe we would like to sacrifice maybe a couple of children, <laughs> which they did in that time. Or maybe it's pretty bad. Maybe, you know, have a big, massive, like, 100 animal sacrifice or something, right? Nope. Give me a harp. <laughs> and by the way, I wouldn't even be talking to you other two unless it was, unless it, this Josh, if that was involved, right? While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elijah, Elisha. Did you get that? The harpist is playing. These harpists are playing. And the hand of the Lord comes on us. I've had so many times, didn't know what to do, concerned about a matter. I'm in worship, and I just know what to do. I just know. Or I just know that the problem isn't nearly as bad as I thought. Or even shortly after the worship, a time... I've had the Lord answer the prayer. A phone call comes. Something unusual happens. This is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says. You will neither see, you will see neither rain, wind, or rain. Yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. Now notice, harpist. Bring me a harpist. I need some music. I need some worship here. I want to worship God for a minute. And then the voice comes. That's worth the, worth, worth the price of admission right there. I hope you heard something from God as the, the harpists were playing today. And the great thing in this day of worship, my, you can listen anytime, but there's just, you know, to uh, all kinds of programming and stuff, and I do. But there's something about the live people of God, something about the people you belong to, you worship with, that has special grace for me. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten wisdom and knowledge and understanding about a certain thing or a problem just by hanging around, worshiping, and getting God to, to tell me what's what, give me wisdom. And, and not just specific direction, but even a sense that, you know, you've been really, really, really going overboard with this thing. You're going to be all right. You know, just for the Lord to tell you you're going to be all right, it's worth the price of admission, right? <laughs> Isn't it? Especially in the swirl of so much negativity, so much weirdness out there. It's just like a beautiful oasis. And you know what? There's something about live, other people, things that people say to you, hearing the voice next to you. There's just something about that. And I, I listen to all kinds of worship, and I get encouraged just by listening to all kinds of, of CDs and stuff. But the live thing is, to me, I feel sometimes like when I come out of a place like this, I feel like I took a bath, you know? <laughs> I just got things washed off of me. I haven't 
nuisance. And sometimes this body of Christ that we come to, you know, they got something for us. That's why we're going to have a ministry team again here today. You never know. The Lord used a donkey, for heaven's sake, one time to talk. (laughs) And we're a little better than donkeys. So our ministry team, by team I mean people that are up here, they're gathered just to pray for you. And, you know, sometimes they'll say the thing that exactly what you need. That's why we take the time to do that. That's why I finally removed these speakers. I'm sick of it. They're up there now. You know why they're there now? Because I believe that the body of Christ is living and active. We've been worshiping and stuff, and sometimes these people up here, they'll have exactly your miracle. I don't know how it works, and God's so humble. He gives grace to the humble. No, we want the great prophet, the great man of God to wave his hand over us. Sometimes it's just a lowly servant, many times. That's why ministry times are so effective. God gives grace to the humble. We make this all about the show of a guy that's got God's word. Da, 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 da. There's only one of him. And, and sometimes the atmosphere is like so full of other things, you just kind of go, whoa, man. But we're just lowly, little like, you know, Frodo's, you know, servants of the Lord. But we're mighty. God gives grace to the humble and in a humble atmosphere. And so we get direction, you know. And we're the little Elishas here. And we might just say something to you that will utterly flabbergast you, that will change the course of your life. It could happen. It's supposed to happen. That's why we're filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Elisha. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He says, he'll also deliver Moab into your hands. You'll overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You'll cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, and so they, he describes the deliverance that comes. This is just a kind of a crazy thing. They look and they, they think it's blood out there. On the, God caused a bunch of water, and they think it's blood. And so they go in, and then Israel got, got them. So it's amazing deliverance. Worship. Point F on your outline. It's directly connected to thanksgiving and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 5 is such a great passage to this. I'll read this again. Worship is directly connected to thanksgiving. Could I just emphasize that for a moment? Oh, man. Teach your kids to say thank you. Teach your kids to do it by rote in the beginning. But if they get the hang of this in the Lord, they're going to be very happy people. Thanksgiving is so powerful. It cuts through darkness heaviness, just thanking the Lord for something. It's an act of worship that has such power in it. I don't think most of us have mined the true power of thanksgiving because sometimes when we get down, we don't feel like saying thank you for one thing. But I'm not, I'm just saying that even thanksgiving for little things that you recognize and notice and keeping yourself in a spirit of thanksgiving is so powerful against the enemy and the, the, the things that he would throw against you physically, mentally, and emotionally. It's a part of worship. It's part of the loveliness and power of worship, thanksgiving. So we see this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual, uh, and songs from the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's what we've been doing. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this worshipful attitude, giving thanks, singing and making music uh, from our heart, all of this, this, this uh, he says, understand what the Lord's will is. This, this is the Lord's will. It sounds crazy. It, it sounds like, wow, how could that be? It's such a spiritual exercise. But when we speak to one of the Psalms, hymns, and songs, when you're here, like, it's so cool when uh, 300 voices are here as opposed to one. They're speaking to you and to God. That's why we get so excited. We can hear the throng of the angels and the voices. I don't understand. I never have understood this. And maybe it's a gift that God's given me or something. I, I don't understand. I never understand how people can be alone so much and just scoot around their lives. I mean, I must be the biggest baby on the planet. I've had this before I was a pastor. I'm like, a, I can't handle it. I've got to find a place. I've got to find worship. I've got to find other people. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a baby. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I don't know. I just think there's some spiritual precedent here. This is normal lifestyle. When you sing psalms and hymns and songs, you're speaking to one another and to God. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 104 says it so spectacularly also. Very familiar voice of verses to us, but literal. More literal than maybe we ever could have known, right? Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. How do we come before Him? With joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. as He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And then this really important phrase here, which is so vital. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. So we have the Old Testament temple where the presence of God is in the Holy of Holies. And then there's this outer entrance and you go in successful to the very presence of God. Well, we're already at the Holy of Holies. The blood of Jesus was represented by all that outdoor furniture and the sacrifice. So we come right in, right? And so he's forecasting that. He's saying, enter his gates. Now it's going to be. The Old Testament guy is talking about what will be. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. I'm sure they did that. Of course, we did it in the Old Testament. I'm not saying it was just a New Testament thing, but, but it becomes real powerful with us. How, how do you come into his presence? You come in with thanksgiving. You come into his courts. In other words, how do you get near to God? You start at the gates of the courts and you get to him through worship and praise, thanksgiving. That's how you come in. And when you're in that space, you begin to hear God's voice. You begin to hear things. If nothing else, then you're going to be okay. I love you. And sometimes things so specific, it, it rocks you. There's more than one time I've had a predicament or a problem and been with the saints and worshiping, you know. Tried as best I could to figure it out. And I'm just there worshiping God. And all of a sudden, the answer just drops in my spirit. How did you, sometimes I've literally said to myself, how do you do that? How do you communicate that to me? How do you give me this wisdom? I'm just sitting here, just worshiping, and then you bring this wisdom? Then sometimes when I'm up here in the front, you know, and I'm being prayed for. Some, somebody I'm thinking, I don't even know who they are, you know, a member of our congregation, or maybe not a member, maybe new, and they say something, they one sentence, and it's all I needed. One thing, I know it's God. That's, we don't do worship, I mean, ministry team for our health. I mean, well, you do it for your health, but we do it for, you know what I mean? We're not just doing it there, oh, well, it's a nice religious thing. I think, no, there's reality here. And sometimes God uses a donkey in the Old Testament to speak to people. And I think we're a little higher than the donkeys. 
So God could speak to you this very morning about a problem, a situation. They might not even know what they're saying. It's just, you know, I get this from God. God's, I just keep seeing this blue house and this red car. And God says, well, don't worry about this situation. You know, and you're describing their house and their car. And, or just other little work, weird piece of advice. They have no idea what they're saying exactly. They're just trying to repeat. But it's the glory of the church. It's the glory of worship. It's the glory of God and the place in the house of God. Worship is God's will for you. This is G on your outline. In Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will. How many times would rejoicing be? Always. How many times do you pray? Continually. (laughs) How many times do you give thanks? Ooh, this is a big one. In all circumstances. We're above it. We're not below it. And worship and praise and prayer are the ways that we ascend. And not just by ourselves, but with other people. We pick each other up. We have these voices. But I tell you, I still can't get out of my system. And we were doing the, just for a short time, we didn't have anybody in here, and we're doing this, by, and I'm preaching to empty seats, and all. it's the stupidest thing, you know. And I'll never forget the first day we opened up, and people, and, and it was, at first, I, I, it was like, I, I didn't understand. And I'm, then I'm thinking, hey, wait a minute. That's the saints. That's the people saying that 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 sound. It's beautiful. Because my first thought was, hey, there's angels in here. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's angels here. They're out skin on. They're all here with their angels, I guess, or whatever. But it was, oh, what a difference. I'm, I'm actually, you know what? I'm glad. I am so glad that I went through that experience. That we went through that experience, right? I can't for the life of me. Why would you want to stay at home? Like, I mean. If, to maybe hear the sermon again, because it's a great sermon. That would be right. Yeah, okay, I can get that in. No, why would you? Why? When the angels are right here. And you can get it in the angels in your living room if you're in a place too. I've got that happen as well. But there's something about life, I'm telling you. And it's not just because I want you here, I'm trying to manipulate. It's just, there's something about life. We're packed, man. We're caring. <laughs> and some of the lists... Simplest little person, you know. Just I'll, I've had this happen to me in worship. You know, they're just and I watch them over there, and, and I and they just raise their hand, just singing God all their might, and the spirit of God. When I watch, I just falls on me. I think, oh God, more than once, even I said, Lord, make me like them. I want to be like them, you know. And I just get encouraged and edified. We weren't meant to live alone. Last thing, rejoice in the Lord with thanksgiving and petition directly leads to a peace. It transcends all understanding. And listen, it says, and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's read Philippians chapter 4. It's just such a great thing. You know, Paul's writing this in Philippians. And it's a Philippi where he actually had the problem, right? And he's worshiping and he gets out of jail. So look what he says to the Philippians. He's writing a letter to them. Now there's a church there as a result of what happened to him in that moment. He's talking about the gospel. He says, pray that I may... Oops, I'm in Colossians. I've got to move over here. Sorry about that. Philippians 4, 4 to 7. He says this. Okay. This is a good way to finish. Let's all stand. And I've got the worship team come up. And also, you powerful prayer people, you people that are on our ministry team, come up from the front. I've got plenty of room for you here this morning. We're going to pray for you Whatever the thing that you need is, we're going to ask God to bring miracles. We're going to ask God to do something so astounding today. 
Take a chance on just simple prayer of the saints. You don't regret it. And this, we found it over and over and over again. All right, now let's listen carefully, okay? I'm at Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, you got it. I'll say rejoice in the Lord, then you say always, just to make sure we get Rejoice in the Lord. Always. How often would that be? Always. Okay. And then he says to himself, I'll say it again. Rejoice. <laughs> Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Now he's just talking about your, it can be translated forbearing spirit. He's talking about being nice to each other. <laughs> the Lord's near. Like with kids at home, right? Be nice to your brother. I'm, I'm, I'm watching you, right? Then he says this. This is really good. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Lord, I'm asking you to this morning that as our people pray for people to come in the front here, receive maybe a special prayer while they're worshiping. I want to ask that you would have lightning in their hands and the gentleness of God in their voice. And I pray, God, as we pray for one another today, you would just come. I pray you'd heal people's bodies. I pray you'd deliver them from evil. I pray you'd restore difficult situations. And whether they come up here or they stay in their seat, if they take a moment just to worship here, in this service. Hear from heaven everything that's said in this house. This is the house of the Lord. This is where the Spirit dwells. Where two or three gather together, there I am in their midst. This verse 7 says this. Situation, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I declare today the peace of God. I release the peace of God to guard your heart. I don't care if you're between jobs. I don't care if you're physically ill today. I care that that's happening to you, but I don't care in the sense that God knows. Nothing's too big for Him. Nothing is over-worrying Him. And to prove it, he brings his saints together to minister to one another and enforce his power. So, Lord, I just declare today the peace of God. May it transcend your understanding. I declare it would not only guard your heart and your mind right now, but it guard your mind and your heart when you leave this place. I pray something of the Spirit would rest on you tomorrow and the next day. I pray you'd have courage to access God courage to pray, courage to have people pray for you. And I pray over these people that are in the front, these saints. I pray that when they pray, you you put lightning in their hands. I pray you would heal the sick. I pray, God, you would correct situations that are long overdue. I pray the glory of God would be in this house through the loveliness and power of worshiping God and being with Him in His temple. Thank you, you said, where two or three gather together, there you are in our midst. So I declare that today, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
Come forward if you like. Receive prayer. Stay in your seat. We'll be worshiping if you like to do that. Whatever God wants you to do. May the Lord just touch you now.